As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Tom Curran's Patriots Talk Podcast. We'll get Matt Castle and Phil Perry in in just a second, but I want to riff for a second on Mac Jones. Listen, I am absolutely dumbfounded at how we can spend the entire summer explaining to everyone why the Patriots' offensive setup was so wacky, yet suddenly, when Mac Jones doesn't look like he hit the ground running this season, we got issues. And Mac Jones might not be the guy? We knew that losing Josh McDaniels and installing a new offensive scheme would create a huge learning curve for Mac. But now we suddenly don't remember what this thing looked like a month ago? We expected the best of Mac when they have the wackiest offensive coaching situation in the league. Apparently we do. Because people are pounding the maybe Mac's not that good button all week long. We got Shaughnessy, Felger, Gasper, Bedard. You know, I went back and forth with Chris Gasper on this about the whole notion that if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And it's a catchy little phrase, but I don't know if it's really that true. Listen, Mac Jones been playing on an eight-foot hoop since he was at Alabama. He had all those weapons around him. He had Nick Saban. He had Brian Dayball. He had Billy O'Brien coming in and Steve Sarkeesian. Then he has Josh McDaniels. Well, this year, in his second year, a stronger, smarter, fully committed Mac has an offensive coordinator named Matt Patricia after Josh McDaniels. So what's that going to do? Yeah, it's going to slow his progress down a little bit. But it's also going to build some resilience. It's going to build some character. You tell me somebody who doesn't get better from adversity, I'm going to show you somebody who probably isn't that strong to begin with. And I don't think that's Mac Jones. Listen, Mac Jones will be a better quarterback at the end of 2022 than he was at the end of 2021. And that remains true, even if his numbers aren't better, even if his touchdown interception ratio isn't better, even if the Patriots don't go to the postseason. Because he was in the NFL and progressing and building up some scar tissue. I promise you. Now, let's hear what Devin McCourty has to say about people getting on someone because, well, the second year doesn't look as good as the first. Devin remembers. I think no matter what in this league, you come out, you play as a rookie, you have success as a rookie, you go out there and you do good things. It sucks to say, but everyone's waiting to write bad things about you. There's, there's, that's just how you know everything works. But I think he knows that in this building, every guy in that locker room believes in him. Everybody in that locker room sees him as, you know, not just our quarterback, but a captain of this team, a leader of this team. All right, so that's Devin McCourty's two cents. Now let's bring in the boys and hear what they got to say. And here are the boys. Let's bring them in right now. There's Matt Castle and Phil Perry. Matt, why so orange? You know, it's just the the light's been hitting me differently. The ultra ultra rays or whatever the heck you call them. I don't know, guys. I mean, everybody's giving me a lot of you know what this morning about my yellow yellow 
you know, look, get over it. I mean, I'm here. Let's go. You're very Are, pale. Aren't you excited to talk about this? Um, Orange. Do you agree with my contention that regardless of numbers and outcome, Mac will be better by the end of 2022 than he was at the end of 2021? Just by osmosis, even if it looks ugly sometimes. I don't agree with that. I, I think that you can absolutely make progress this year, but if he goes out and they really struggle throughout the course of the year and he digresses just because, one, it's about confidence, right? And if you don't have confidence and you start leaning in on that doubt and start questioning this, that, and the other, and you don't progress the way that you wanted to, then it's getting back to the offseason and saying, okay, what do I have to do to get better this, this offseason? Because Look, if you go out and struggle all year, there's not a lot of confidence and there's not a lot that you can take away from. Yes, you can become calloused. You can become mentally tough that you handled mm -hmm. this tough situation, did all that. So maybe there's certain areas. But in terms of overall play, the, the, there's not a lot that you take away from going out and struggling week in and week out is what all I'm saying. Do you worry then, Matt, about long-term damage being done to Mac Jones based on what's happening this year? You know, the, I think long-term damage for quarterbacks in particular – as I said before, it starts with your confidence and your own self-doubt. And I've been through it before. Look, when I left the New England Patriots, I went to the Chiefs. We went 4-12 and 12 that first season. And there was that little bit of doubt. And so, you know, you start to think about, am I cut out for this? Am I going to be able to do this? And, and that kind of starts to creep in. But then the next year, you come back and we're able to put together a successful year. A new coordinator came in, all the different things. And so that's the thing you have to guard yourself against as a quarterback, particularly a young quarterback in this league, is because the weight of the, the world's always on your shoulders as a quarterback. That's It's the most pressure-packed situation that you could possibly be in. Everybody, there's a microscope on you week in and week out. Everybody wants to diagnose this and evaluate you in every single throw. Is he making progress? Is he not? You have to answer those questions constantly, so it's always in the back of your head. But for quarterbacks, as they progress from year one to year two to year three and they go on, the only thing that really hurts people long-term is if they lose confidence in their self. And I think, Tom, Mac Jones is a very confident guy. I think mm -hmm. even this year, as they put together a rough little summer and where the offense is still at the point where it's not scoring in bunches the way that it did at times last year, I still gather that he is a very confident individual. I think it's part of the reason – He's as well-respected as he is by this team and already trusted to be one of their leaders in his second year as a captain. I know that that comes with the territory, with the position that he plays, but I think he, I think that's one of the reasons why the Patriots and other teams liked him as much as they did. It's all well and good to be a brainiac at the position, which he is, and it's all well and good to be accurate at the position, which he is, but there's something else to him as a human being, which I think allows players, teammates to gravitate toward him, and I think it, it gravitated... Uh, a number of different teams toward him in that draft a couple of years ago. So I don't really worry about his his long-term confidence level, but I just do wonder if this year he will at some point be put in the right positions when it comes to scheme. Do they mm -hmm. have an identity? Do they gear things toward him to the point where he feels like he's being put in the best positions to succeed? I think they already started toward that in all honesty in week two with some of the different things that they incorporated in that game plan that they didn't in week one. So the more they can do of that, I think the more confident he'll be, the better, the better the results will be. Here's the thing. Facts is facts. He is going to regress from what we saw production wise in 2021, because he's not going to be schemed into situations where there are receivers running naked and alone, like Brandon Bolden so often was last year. Just, it's not going to happen. Josh McDaniels was a genius. But as long as he doesn't become resigned, or as Matt talks about 
lose some confidence. And I saw a quarterback do that here. Drew Bledsoe, over the course of his time, with so many different schemes and so many different coordinators and going from Bill Parcells to, to Pete Carroll, uh, Ernie Zampezi, it's just so much flipping that I think that by the time Bill Belichick got here and Charlie Weiss returned, Bledsoe's like, all right, well, okay, what are we doing now in year eight for me? This is just another love log on the fire for me to try and process big sigh. Here I go. I don't think Mac's going to get like that, but again, we'll watch it and see if there are smoking gun evidences of him being resigned. And I think part of that conversation goes to something Matt wrote about for the website this week. We continue to parse Mac's messages, Mac and Matt. I know they're close, but Mac Jones at the mic this week, when he starts talking about, RPOs and what the Patriots are doing and whether or not he has to understand what the Patriots' aims are with particular plays. For me, the biggest thing is what's the play and what's the purpose of the play. And as long as I know the purpose, I have the green light to do what I'm supposed to do. Um, and if I don't know the purpose and we still call it, we're probably just trying to see the play. And, um, you know, there's other reasons why we're trying to do it. So um, for me, that's always been my thing is what do you want me to do as a quarterback to make this a successful play and you have to trust the coaches and allow them to to work and that's what they do really well it's scheme up things and put you in a good position so they're never going to put me in a bad position um and that's their job and my job is to run what they're doing and and do it really well so we have confidence in it okay when he's talking about i don't know the purpose of the play it seems a little damning to be saying during the regular season as opposed to in training camp when they're just trying to get it on tape, put it in the lab and dissect it. I find this fascinating because it's something we, we talked about, we reported about during the preseason that, hey, the Patriots were running plays into bad looks just to sort of get a sense of what they could do and what they couldn't and how things looked on tape, even if the play was not set up to succeed given the defensive look. They were running into bad looks all the time. When he says – if I don't know the purpose of the play and we call it anyway, then we're probably just trying to get a look at it. That tells me that what was happening in the preseason is maybe still happening. And I, I find it interesting. Number one, that that would be the reality. And number two, Matt, that, that he would be talking about it. I just, uh, to run a play just to see it at this point in the year, maybe it just tells us that the Patriots really are treating this first month of the season as an extension of the preseason. Cause they didn't feel like they had enough time in the summer to, to iron out all the kinks that they wanted to offensively. Yeah. It's a really interesting comment to me because normally those things do take place in preseason. It's commonplace, right? You're talking about assignment alignment technique. You're going to run your base plays. You're going to get a look. You're going to run them into bad looks. You're just going to see how people react to them. You're not always going to have an answer and that's what practice is made for. But as you get into game weeks and you start game planning, there's usually a clear understanding of what Mac Jones is talking about, a purpose of a play. And when you say purpose, it goes much deeper than that. When you're when you're talking about a concept in the passing game, you're sitting there going, okay, this is one, this is two, this is three in my progression. Versus this coverage, we want to work to the right. Versus this coverage, we're going to start on the left. Something like that. There's a purpose to the play. If you're talking about a 50-50 ball, hey, look, those are called big alerts in, in everything that we usually used to call it. Big alert means if you've got a one-on-one -on -one opportunity, we talked about taking a shot on first or second down early in the first quarter, early in the second quarter to give them a different look, to make them think about something else so they can't, those DBs can't sit on our intermediate route game. Well, then you have the ability to look out there and take that shot. 
and that's your purpose, right? But you also, as the quarterback, always have the power to veto that and say, look, I don't, I wasn't in love with his release. I wasn't in love with the shot right there. So guess what? I'm going to get back into my progression, check the ball down, keep the chains moving because the coverage didn't dictate that. However, I found it fascinating if they still are just – if he's going out there and we're just running plays to run plays into bad looks, that's not a formula for success. And I can't imagine that either Belichick or – you know, or the offensive unit in general would sit there and say, okay, we just need to get a look at this right now it, because these games mean too much and every game in an NFL season counts so much toward the end result. Do you perceive this kind of subtle tug of war that's going on as bad because it's public or is it healthy to say and listen to somebody say, yeah, you know, we're trying to process things. We're trying to get it out there. Everything isn't perfect. It's a process. Um, because this is, in some ways, a little damning if you look at it in that vacuum of, whoa, he's just saying we're running plays without a purpose. Or, whoa, we're saying we're throwing it into 50-50 situations where there's not a clear-cut opportunity to have a, a matchup. That's different. That's a different philosophy. It's funny to watch this play out in real time because nothing's overt. And a lot of it has to be parsed, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I've never seen a Patriots team where so many people offensively have come out and openly criticized the offensive scheme or what's taking place, whether it's Kendrick Bourne, whether it was Jacoby Myers last week prior to the game. We heard comments from him about the, the adjustments that need to be made. Mac Jones, there's these subtleties in his comments that I'm sitting there going, I never remember a Patriots team openly criticizing the offense and what they're doing so publicly on a consistent basis. And I think it, it can be damning because, again, that means most of the guys that you're relying on to go out and make plays on a consistent basis aren't, aren't having that buy-in, aren't be having that belief in what they're doing. But at the same time, I'm shocked that Bill Belichick, because I know the Bill Belichick of old, he'd have none of this, right? You, you don't talk about other pe people's injuries. You only talk about yourself. And we definitely don't talk about scheme to the media, right? That, that Those were his three main keys every time we talked – in, in team meetings, when you're talking publicly, when you're talking to the media. And now we've got guys just, like I said, being very open about their feelings. And I, I don't think it helps this offensive unit in any way move forward rather than just create more drama on the outside of that building. But these guys, Phil, have to make a case for why things look like ass sometimes. I, I mean, that's the thing. And then you never heard it because it was Josh McDaniels or Charlie Weiss or Billy O'Brien and there probably wasn't a lot of artillery where any of the players, whether it be Jacoby or or Mac or anyone, felt as if they were standing on common ground or maybe even a level above some of the coaches in terms of offensive acumen in what they'd run. And again, Matt Patricia knows offensive football just by osmosis and by the time he spent coaching. But he's certainly open to questioning based upon the situation he's in relative to where the guys previous were. And I think Bill Belichick probably understands that. I mean, he is no dummy. <laughs> he understands the dynamics of the locker room. He understands the dynamics of modern day players versus players when they played, you know, back when Matt Castle came into the league in the, the early 2000s and uh, versus the guys that came into the league in the 70s when Bill Belichick started coaching. He knows things are different now. And I think because buy-in is so important to him, he probably is, and it, it probably is a change. It sounds like it's a significant change based on what Matt's saying, but he probably is open to a level of questioning that maybe he wasn't open to in other years in the hopes that 
maybe having a more open dialogue and an open discussion about how things are going on leads to more buy-in down the line. Because if you have a team that, number one, isn't performing all that well on one side of the ball, but is also going through these drastic changes, these what look like risky changes, look like gambles on Bill Belichick's behalf, and then on top of it, you're on these guys at all times, 24 hours a day, whether it's social media or their interactions with the traditional media and telling them they can't say anything and let's keep everything on the down low. And if you do say anything, so help me, God, I will find you to kingdom come <laughs> or worse. You put all of that together. It's going to be hard, I would imagine, to get by. in. so maybe it's just Bill Belichick getting a little more lax on some of the standards that he has had in the past. All right. Well, let's put a button. Or a cork in that conversation. I'm sure we'll be back to it before too long. And in a minute, we're going to get into Lamar Jackson. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, what's up? Welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's hear from Devin McCourty talking about Lamar Jackson and the strides that he has made since coming into the NFL. This is brought to you by Shaw's Perfecting the Art of Fresh. The hard thing with him is he got better. You know, I think, uh, you know, you're watching him sit in the pocket a lot more patient. Um, but I think the hardest thing is him reading the defense. When you're in zone, you can see he sees that. He stays in the pocket. He knows that within that zone, his guy's going to uncover. He's going to have time. When you're a man, he still wants to keep his eyes downfield. But if that lane opens up and he sees all the routes are going the other direction, like he knows it's trouble for you. And you'll see him take off and you'll see big plays happen like that. So um, I think just his ability, you know, I think each year when you talk about some of these quarterbacks that were, you know, younger a few years ago, you're starting to see whether it's him, Josh Allen, like you're seeing these guys now, the mental part of the game just comes so so much easier for them. And they've been in the same offenses, doing it kind of over and over again, year in, year out. Um, so it, it, it's dangerous. I think you saw even in the Miami game a couple times um, where they were kind of aggressive, you know, everyone was, you know, between call it the line of scrimmage and six yards. This is a tough team that if Bateman catches a ball, if Lamar Jackson has a quarterback run on and you don't have anybody on the third level of the defense, good night. All right, we got an option here. We can go X's and O's and talk about how do you stop Lamar? Or we can leave <laughs> that pregame live and then talk about it in postgame live on Sunday and instead talk about the very, very sexy and sex, sexy, sex sexy and voluptuous topic of should the Patriots have drafted Lamar Jackson? Think about this. Give me a minute to riff here. John, bring it in. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the Patriots in 2018 had the 
31st overall pick, and Lamar Jackson was on the board. Tom Brady in 2018, that point was coming off a Super Bowl loss against the Eagles. Brady still wanted to get a contract extension. The Patriots kicked the tires on Lamar Jackson, eventually said, no, not taking him. We're taking Sony Michelle. We know how that played out. 2018, the Patriots win the Super Bowl, thanks to Tom Brady, but thanks mainly also to a running game. That would have been an apprentice year anyway for Lamar Jackson. 2019, really a dysfunctional year, and Tom Brady's out the door. 2020, the Patriots end up with a quarterback, well, kind of like Lamar Jackson. Cam Newton, a predecessor, a forerunner of Lamar. Different type, different skill set. But now we see Lamar Jackson, who came into the league as maybe a low-floor, extreme high-ceiling player, hitting his ceiling. And what do the Patriots have a quarterback now instead? They have the ultimate high-floor quarterback. When they drafted Mac Jones at 15 overall, every other team who wanted a quarterback had said no thanks to him. Because as opposed to Lamar Jackson, he was the worst athlete with the worst arm, but the most beautiful mind. Total juxtaposition. So, fellas, as we look at this, the Patriots could have had a better player, a quarterback, a more dynamic player, a player with a much higher ceiling had they taken Lamar Jackson. But did they make a mistake in not drafting him? I'm going to say to a degree, and the reason I'm going to say that is the number of picks in the 30s and 40s the Patriots peed away over the course of time, whether it's Duke Dawson. I'm not calling Sony Michelle a wasted pick, but Duke Dawson, Jawan Williams, on and on. Plenty of second rounders, which ostensibly 31 kind of is, on guys who'd never really made a difference. The Patriots could have had Lamar Jackson, and they definitely knew that they were going to need a quarterback before too damn long. Have at it, boys. Who's first? I'll go first. I think they should have drafted Lamar. I think he is the quarterback who got away, not Jimmy Garoppolo, as I think some people in these parts still, still maybe think of Garoppolo, but he is just so dynamic and I would have trusted the Patriots coaching staff whether it was Josh McDaniels Bill Belichick both for however long to be able to build an offense around Lamar Jackson to make it work the way the Ravens have when they when they drafted him eventually they went all in on making that thing work and devising a very rare in today's NFL and unique offense to complement his set of skills and they've done so beautifully in my opinion and he has turned into you know small sample this year, but he he's turned into not just the best athlete at that position in today's NFL. I guess you put Kyler Murray somewhere in that same category, but he's, he's developed into a tremendously effective passer during stretches of his career, Matt. So we know he won an MVP already. I, I understand where the Patriots were coming from that year. I think they were trying to max out Tom Brady's window here in New England. So they draft him a left tackle. They draft him a running back because they needed a running back that year. Like Eric Blunt was gone. They didn't really have a bell, bell cow guy. But that to me was somewhat short-sighted, especially given the fact that we know back in 2017, they were already sort of preparing in a way for the post-Tom Brady era. So what better way to do that than by drafting a quarterback with a really dynamic skill set? Dynamics and understatement. I mean, every time this guy steps on the field, he's the best athlete on the field. And not just that, he's developed into a outstanding top 
five top seven quarterback in the league. But again, I think it came down to schematically, you have to commit to that. And I was with Greg Roman in Buffalo. He had Kaepernick before that in the San Francisco 49er system in which they ran and had a plan in place. Like you said, they were ready for Lamar Jackson. They understood what they were getting and they structured that entire offense and how they built around that offense, the personnel that they had. You have to fully commit to what you're getting when you get Lamar Jackson. And back then, I think everybody knew he was an elite athlete. Everybody knew that his ceiling was very high, but nobody understood where he could develop as a passer. And so that being part of Josh McDaniel's system, that was so far outside the box of what that system had been, what it was at the time in terms of the type of quarterback that they looked for that fit the mold of their system that I don't think that they were ready to commit to Lamar Jackson. One, because they didn't know how he's going to develop as a passer. And what we've seen now, there's proof behind what you're saying. He's a dynamic passer. And not only that, he's a threat every time he touches the ball and he can go you know, 97 yards up the middle and run, run, run the field because he's just that type of athlete. Now, did they miss looking back? Yes. But at the time, I couldn't sit there with a straight face and say, this is a perfect fit for the New England Patriots no. system. I mean, I get the logic. I absolutely right. get the logic. You take Sony Michelle, you say, okay, you know what? We know he's got a bad knee and it's going to break down eventually, but we need a back. So we're going to take a back here. If you would take Lamar Jackson, and that was a, a rock in the pond, whatever, a pebble. No one really thought twice about it. Okay, we got a running back. Well, you don't take running backs that early, but whatever. It would have been a boulder into the pond if Lamar Jackson had been drafted. The ramifications of him being drafted the questions surrounding it, the monitoring of how is Lamar looking? Can he throw? Can he not throw? Has he got enough time? Was this a wasted pick? How does Brady feel about it? Are the Patriots going to pivot? Now what's going to happen with Brady? And Robert Kraft probably sitting there going, what are we doing? Are we trying to piss this kid off or not? I want Tom to finish his career right here. Right. There are so many ramifications. But I think what's interesting is with the benefit of hindsight to see that in 2020, the Patriots ended up with a quarterback who at that point was a far, 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 far lesser version of Lamar Jackson. And they went through a whole goddamn year with him. It's really ironic. It's not something we really spend a lot of time thinking about, but it's ironic that two years after they passed on Lamar Jackson, they have an older, slower, worse throwing version of Lamar Jackson for a year. And then they have to jettison him so that they can get Mac Jones, who is the polar opposite in terms of, Mac never, ever had an opportunity to say, I'm going to rip off an 80-yard run here. So he had to develop the beautiful mind and processing defenses in a way that Lamar Jackson didn't have to because Lamar Jackson could drop back and say, well, I got a lot in my toolbox. And if that guy ain't open, I'm running and I'm probably going to score. Now, as Devin said at the top there, Lamar Jackson has filled out his toolbox and understands all the things that maybe Mac understood a few years back again it's because not because he didn't have the aptitude quite well clearly it's because he had too many varied skills to concentrate on that one that mac jones was concentrating on it's like if you ask mac jones to become a, a running quarterback now well i haven't done that before well try it. it might take a year or two he could get better at it but he'd never be great anyway i think it's a fascinating discussion i really do I love you guys for listening to me there and pausing to listen. All right, I left him speechless. Okay, let's cut to the chase. Who's going to win the quarterback matchup on Sunday? It's hard not to look at Lamar Jackson and say that he's not one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the league right now, given how the first two games have gone. And I know they lose in Miami, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. 
when it comes to the Baltimore offense. I just I wonder if the Patriots will be able to keep him as under wraps the way they were back in 2020 when they played him in the rain and it felt like everything got slowed down. There is a plan here. We sort of know what the plan is. It's crush rush. It's keep your rush lane integrity right yes. now. Keep him in the pocket. Try to try to force him to beat you from the pocket. But again, he's been so good from the pocket, especially when kept clean, that he could kill you that way. So you have to you have to really walk that tightrope. I talked to Dietrich Wise about this this week. He said it's an art figuring <laughs> out how to pressure while also keeping him contained. There's a few different ways they can do it. I don't think they want to blitz though, Matt, because he's great against the blitz. So finding the right way to pressure and contain, that's the art that they're going to have to uh, come up with this weekend. Pressure, contain, lane, integrity, all those things. Because when you play Lamar Jackson, he now has changed changed the, the position because it's 11 on 11 football. You have to account for him on every single play. So some guy, one guy can't get out of position because that is what's going to spill the big play. And you saw him last week in the first half of that game. Four of the first five possessions, they go down and score touchdowns. They had two turnovers on fourth and one where they got stopped. This team was able to sustain drives. They moved the ball. And their ability to set up the RPO game, the running game, with the zone read game with Lamar Jackson, and then also his ability now to throw the ball down the field accurately, one-on-one matchups. I mean, this is a tough team for anybody to go up and, and go, go up against defensively, mainly because during practice, there's nobody that can simulate or emulate what his skill set is. You do not know how fast this man is until you step on the field. So that's where it's really hard to go up against Lamar Jackson offense because the preparation, while we say all those things, yes, you got to stay in your lanes and do all this, it's a lot harder when you see it in real action for the first time and you go, wow, that guy just got the corner and ran around all of our DBs because he's that special. All right, so there you have it. A huge test on Sunday. We will course be monitoring closely pre-game live post-game live join us then we'll see you later enjoy